Alright. Here it is. Again. And it's called. I believe that the music I heard is a killer. It's a killer of hope. It's a killer of spirit. Song three chords. Four. And Devo plays for Muffy's party. Hey everybody, I'm Joseph. And I'm Rob. Welcome to the winter 1977 episode of Deep Dives and Deep Cuts, the history of punk, post-punk, and new wave, 1976 to 1986. Hey, so today's playlist is really sweet. I gotta tell you, there's so much on here with so much energy. Let me give you a clue as to what we're going to be listening to today. We got David Bowie, The Ramones, The Runaways, Peter Gabriel, The Saints, Television, Ultravox, Ultravox, Iggy Pop, and The Damned. So what of these of these albums here that we're gonna that that we've been listening to all this week, which is the one that surprised you the most? I I gotta say it's Ultravox. Yeah, yeah, me too, for sure. I was definitely say that. Yeah. Okay, well let's just jump in, uh, give people a little taste of what we got coming up um, with um, what song do you want to hear off of this I, Ultravox? Album? I think we should dive in with White Boys. <laughs> familiar were you with Ultravox before? So I wasn't super familiar with Ultravox. Um, I, I'm pretty sure that I'd heard them here and there throughout yeah. time, but not well, really, yeah, I wasn't really exposed to them all that much. Well, they, in the States, they were not a, um, not a huge band. They, they got on MTV a little bit um, in the mid-80s. Mm-hmm. I, when I first discovered them they were much more of a like a a, sm- a smoother synth pop type band like um you know like a depeche mode or oh, yeah, yeah. or duran duran or or something like that so this is and i knew that they had some early punk um history but this album was quite a surprise. This and I gotta say, I really like the energy behind this tune, yeah. um, and the album's great. The definitely there's definitely kind of a punk uh, punk uh, new wave oh, crossover yeah. going on. Yeah. So hey, yeah. so so uh, let's get a better sense of what's going on right now in 1977. What, what's what's happening in the winter of '77? So we're talking about January, February, and March of 1977. Here's what was going on in the world. Um, <clears throat> movies of note were Pumping Iron, Suspiria, Eraserhead, and 
fun with Dick and Jane. The number one songs in the U.S. during this time period was You Don't Have to Be a Star by Marilyn McCoo and Billy Davis Jr. Car Wash by Ro Rose Royce. I Wish by Stevie Wonder. Blinded by the Light by Manford Mann's Earth Band. Torn Between Two Lovers by Mary McGregor. Evergreen by Barbara Streisand. Rich Girl by Daryl Hall and John Oates. Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah, so that was... Um, <laughs> that's a real mixed bag. <laughs> that's the 70s for you. Um, debuting TV, what eight is enough. Three's Company and the Hardy Boys and Nancy Drew Mysteries. Uh, other events happening in this time period. The only time snow ever fell in Miami, Florida... Wow. And the rings of Uranus were discovered. Mm-hmm. Okay. I wonder if the two were connected. <laughs> Snow in Miami and the rings of... Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we've, we've got a lot of um, albums to talk about, so why don't we just jump right in. Right. The first three bands we're going to hear tonight are going to sound pretty familiar because they're three of the artists that we heard from from uh, 1976. All the rest of the albums are debuts. So a uh, lot of new bands uh, poking their heads out of the ground for the first time. But but let's get the the first three uh, repeaters out of the way. Uh, the first one being David Bowie's Low. So you and I were talking just a little bit um, before we started recording. Mm -hmm. um, you're not a big fan of this album. I'm not a big fan of this album. To me, it 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 felt kind of I don't know. It was just to me, I felt uninterested. I just wasn't into it. I couldn't. Uh, there are a couple yeah. songs in there I liked, but yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, it is a highly acclaimed album. Yeah. Well, I'm not the. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, Pitchfork Magazine calls it the best album of the 1970s. Hmm. Um, Q Magazine calls it the 14th greatest British album ever. And Rolling Stone rates it as the 249th greatest album. Now, I'm... Um, I think I kind of side with you. This is this is the first of his Berlin trilogy, right. which I never really connected with. Um, the first side of this album are just weird, short, little, like, disjointed snippets of songs, mm -hmm. which I actually kind of like. Mm -hmm. um, and then the second half is mostly instrumental, very kind of chilly synthesizer stuff, right, which right. is not, I mean, Dave, David Bowie is always a bit of a distant, chilly artist, but, but this is it, him at his chilliest. Um, yeah. I, I think that I'm going to get a lot of Black for saying that it was a snoozer for me. I totally, totally empathize with you. Every time I listen to it, um, I like it a little bit more, mm -hmm. but it's it's not one of my favorite albums. Um, 
couple more points about this album that are uh, might be of interest to our listeners. It's the first of three collaborations with uh, Brian Eno and Tony Visconti. Right. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> of course, the Berlin trilogy. This being the first of the Berlin trilogy was recorded mostly in France, so go figure that. Um, <laughs> and although this album is highly uncommercial, in fact, um, Bowie's label refused at first to release it because they felt it had no commercial potential. Um, it did have a hit single, um, now a bit of a classic, um, Sound and Vision, a <laughs> song that uh, most of us are familiar with. Yeah. Now, having sort of discussed my indifference for this album, the song that we're going to listen to, Breaking Glass, I love. You know what? I, I agree with you, by the way. I liked I it a lot. I love this song. And if the whole album were of this quality, this would be one of my, if not my favorite Bowie album. It's a short little song, but it's really Bowie firing on all cylinders as, as far as I'm concerned. It's called Breaking Glass. Don't look at the carpet I drew something awful on it very much an album of its time in the sense that this was pretty new exciting stuff back then it's it's one of those you had to be there kind of albums to get excited about that's that's what i chalk it up up, yeah. up to because it, um yeah it well it definitely has a feel of like a whole new era beginning yeah you yeah know, yeah so and you know david bowie He's he's the first he he was the first to cop to it. He's he's a master at kind of like stealing other people's styles. Mm, yeah. And yeah. um and this his whole Berlin trilogy is hailed as being um you know him doing his own thing and kind of developing his own sound for for the very first time right and so i, I think that's why a, another reason why this um trilogy of albums is are so highly acclaimed because it's like bowie inventing his his own sound yeah bowie so, inventing bowie yeah yeah all right, let's move on to the next release, which is um, Your Buddies the Ramones yeah, man. with Leave Home. This is their second album um, in less than a year. They were really gung-ho about putting out as much as they could. And 
and so they were playing all the time they were practicing all the time and they were they were trying to record all the time so that's the Ramones for you you know the Ramones did um, several arena gigs with uh, Blue Oyster Cult I do know that yeah another band I love <laughs> yeah but I, I don't see a lot of crossover appeal between the two audiences. <laughs> no, they're, they're not the same. <laughs> what, what do I know? So you pick the song um, off of this album. What are we going to hear? Uh, we're going to hear You're Going to Kill That Girl. And I I just really kind of dig it because it kind of takes you back to that like 1950s uh, sound that the Ramones really were into. I saw walking down the street then he knocked it off her feet And then I knew It was the end of her Skinny to that girl Skinny to that girl Skinny to that girl tonight Tonight Skinny to that girl Skinny to that girl Skinny to that girl So, Rob, can you guess how I feel about this song? Um, it doesn't do anything for you? I don't know. <laughs> no. No, I feel about this song the way I feel about every Ramon song. They is, all... Yeah, yeah it's they all right. All. I kind of like it. Don't love it, but yeah. kind of like it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, you know, I'm all just right. a big fan of the band, and I'll listen to anything they do, but... Yeah, um, yeah, I... I like it. I think it yeah. sounds like our own song. Yeah, you can you can bop to it, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, so um, at this point, I want to take uh, a little sidebar here, um, and I I I want to say something that I feel like needs to be said. I'm going to say it this one time for all you listeners, because of course it is it would be teasy tedious for me to bring it up all the time, but. <clears throat> I just want to talk about um, our the the fact that we we are expressing our opinions about the music that that we're listening to, and to acknowledge the fact that every single band that we discuss on this podcast, we're talking about music that was made almost fifty years ago. Oh man, that's so. Been that long. Yeah. So, yeah. so the fact that we're even discussing them at all means that these artists are legit. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. they they are absolutely legit artists. There's we we are never gonna listen to an artist that sucks, that is incompetent. Right. I mean, if you're, so so for, for every artist that we talk about on this podcast, there have been millions, if not tens of millions of people that, you know, one night 
while they were drunk or stoned, turned to their friend and said, hey, dude, let's start a band, you know? <laughs> but but these, all of these artists, they actually did it. They wrote the songs. They got record deals. Yeah. They got radio airplay. You know, they, they, they became significant enough that we know who they are almost 50 years later. Right. So when you and I talk about a band or an album or a song and we're dismissive, I can't speak for you, but for me, I am always aware of the fact that I'm just expressing my personal opinion about how that music moves me. Yeah. And I don't ever want to want anyone to think that I'm dismissive of the artists because once again, every single artist that we talk about is totally legit and deserves our admiration and respect, even if the music that they make doesn't really speak to us. But, so yeah, we're not we're, we're, when we talk about how we don't care for a band, we're not saying that band sucks because obviously yeah, yeah. they wouldn't be yeah. where they are if they yeah. if they suck. And no, and depending no, no matter what our view of this band is or that band is uh they've definitely made an impact and that's why they're on this list yeah and i am i am always aware of that you know even when i may sound a little dismissive right absolutely Um, so end of sidebar now is it a coincidence that we brought, that I brought that up right before we talked about the Runaways? No, not really. <laughs> so the Runaways put out their second album, Queen of Noise, and this album, to me, is um, really a step backwards. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because the, it's they lost some of their energy and their enthusiasm, which honestly were kind of the most appealing things about their yeah, uh, yeah. about their music. Um, this is much more of like a just a straight ahead major label hard rock album. Um, having said that, I actually picked the song that we're going to listen to because <laughs> this is this is the first runaway song that actually kind of made my ears perk up. Um, it's not a punk or new wave song. It's kind of more 70s hard rock. Mm-hmm. But this song's, I mean, first of all, the lead singer has really got her act together. So she's got her her weird little idiosyncrasies. Like, she's doing them to make her performance interesting but they're not out of control like a lot of her other stuff it's a good point yeah and the song song craft is i feel like it's a it's a a couple of notches up from like some of the stuff off of their first album so this is um sonically i think this is a really pleasing song called um california paradise Join up that radio in a row. Melody shines like summer gold. Why your beaches in the salty wind? California summer name. 
it should be noted that this is um, the Runaways' second of three albums and their best-selling album, at least in the U.S. You, you know, um, I'm. You already know this. I'm. A, I'm a fan of the Runaways. Um, one of the things that I like about the Runaways is the energy, the kind of exuberance, um, and also the idiosyncrasies. But I have to say that I'm kind of on the opposite side of the fence on this song. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. I well, I felt like I felt like this was a 40 year old woman singing a song, and not you know not this like young, powerful go-getter. I feel like it was a bit. It was more mature than I want my my rock or my punk rock to be. So, it, it I didn't really feel it. Huh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And well, I there and you I go. the reason I said that is because I know that you're going to say Rob likes everything. Well, not everything, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm just but Rob does it. like everything. <laughs> and I'm still a big fan of the Runaways. So, yeah. I, I still love them. <laughs> So, the first debut album that we're going to talk about today is um, Peter Gabriel's first eponymously titled album. He did four of them. Um, so, this, this one, which was the first, is commonly referred to as Car, because it's a picture of a car mm -hmm. on the cover. Um, so... As I'm sure everybody knows, Peter Gabriel was the lead singer of Genesis back when they were prog rock, um, mm -hmm. and he left the band just when they were they were really starting to take off. Um, <clears throat> what do you think about this album? I every you know I've. I've owned this on CD since the <laughs> since the mid '90s, and you know, every five or seven years, I go back and I take another run at it. But other than Salisbury Hill, which is the you know, which was his biggest hit off yeah. of this album, classic. It is. It's not very compelling. Um, it's sounding very prog rock to me. Yeah. Salisbury Hill um, kind of has a bit of a new wave flavor, like a little hint of where he's going to go later on in the, mm. um, you know, in the next five or ten years. But I've never been able to, to really lock into what this album is all about. Peter Gabriel's a weird dude. I mean, let's face it. He's he uh, he's very experimental. He you know he's brilliant, I think, and I think that he he plays around and he his mind's always working on what he can tweak and what he can do. Um, and I think this album's like no, it's no exception. Um, I I always find it hard to get into him because I can never settle down. You know, I can never settle into Peter Gabriel, um, but. You know, it. I found I found the album somewhat interesting. I I don't think I'd put it in my collection, but I you know I liked a couple of the songs. Well, I was very surprised with the song that you picked. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so I mean, I and then I I listened to it and I went, okay, well this this appeals to 
Rob's love of like storytelling is very mm-hmm. theatrical. He's mm-hmm. he's like playing different characters and doing different voices. And is is that what? Because this is one of the most prog rockiest of yeah. the songs off this <laughs> off of this album. Yeah. So I I chose more upon the Burgermeister, and and the reason I did is because exactly that reason. It's it's um. It's telling a story. I think it's wild, and it's—I um, don't know. To, to me, it feels very visual. If that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I got that. It's and, like he's—he's he's doing like a one-man show. Yeah, you know. Yeah, and and to me, it was the most—I think the most dynamic song on the album. So, and that's that's why I chose it. what he's doing but I feel like all of the different voices don't quite work mm. together it just it um, he's telling a story not crafting a song so much is, is the way that it feels to me but but I can tell you that um, Peter Gabriel in a couple of years are will put out some excellent albums and one of my all-time favorite new wave albums ever and spoil alert it is not so <laughs> i mean it is not quote so the album so it's something else i'm sure we'll hear it <laughs> so let's move on to the saints their debut album is called i'm stranded their hit single was also called called i'm stranded now, what I, uh, did you think of this? I, so I I listened to this album over and over again, and uh, I I I dug it. Um, but I I have to say I I discovered like all these neat little uh, uh, neat little things about the band as I as I became kind of more interested in the in the in the album. Um, I, uh, I I felt like it had. I, I, it's definitely punk to me, you know. It definitely feels like punk oh, yeah. rock to me. No doubt. Um, but one thing I discovered was that their uh, the the people that well, it it was an EMI album, and EMI apparently wanted uh, to promote them as being like this typical punk band with like the spiky hair and the 
shredded up clothing and that bad boy attitude. And they were like, no, 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 we're not going to go that route. We're, we're more laid back than that, okay? I know what we sound like, but this is our music. This is our look. And they stuck to it. And it, it didn't hurt them at all. Mm-hmm. It didn't hurt them at all. So, uh, usually, um, typically the Saints are referred to as a English punk band. Right, but- I was surprised to, to find out they're, they're Australian. Now, yeah. by the time they actually released music, they had uh, transplanted to um, England. Yes. Yeah. But they they originated in, in Australia. So I spent about two days kind of obsessed with this album and not necessarily in a good way. Oh. I was just trying to wrap my brain around what my reservations are about this album because everything's there. I mean, it is undeniably punk, yeah. you know, and it's very solid. And I just, I, I just kept going back and listening to it and trying to put my finger on exactly how I felt about it. And then finally I flashed on it. And oh, this is... Okay what this album makes me think of. This album to me sounds like it's the soundtrack to a movie that that was maybe made in the last 10 to 15 years um, about a fictional guy growing up in London in the 1970s and he starts a punk band and this album <laughs> is the soundtrack to that so this is the this is the punk that this fictitious punk band in the 70s made i mean it all sounds very much like 70s english punk yeah you know i think you're onto something but there's there's also something kind of generic about it but it's unfair to call it generic yeah. because this is this is there was no music that sounded like this before right. it came out yeah. so maybe they're they were so ahead of their time and so incredibly brilliant that they made the template so well that they just sound generic but there's there's just <laughs> not enough rough edges or like interesting personality to to really hook me it all sounds really good but not very memorable now uh, spiky hair and razor blade earrings wouldn't help that at all would it no no wouldn't <laughs> wouldn't change the sound of it um <clears throat> so we're gonna listen to a song called demolition girl which sounds a lot like to me sounds a lot like the dead milkman and the fact that I say that is unfair because, of course, the dead milkmen sound a lot like this song. <laughs> um, but somehow, this whole album just sounds like other stuff before the other stuff existed. Yeah, so too true. Ma- maybe that's just a weird little kink in my psyche and I just need to get over it. But. It's it's a good solid album. I have nothing um, negative to say about it, uh, but I just couldn't couldn't get hooked into it. 
Girls sounds a little bit different than all of the rest of the stuff mm-hmm. off of this album. This is kind of the most distinctly different song. So. Um, you know, it's what's interesting is uh, I I actually really like this album a lot, and yeah. part of it had to do with one of the the most punk rock things about it i think is that the band really busted their asses to get this to get this done get this album made um i mean they they basically had to schlep around you know and they they sent they sent their own records out to radio stations and magazines and and i mean they they hit the payment to get it done um and so there was a lot of hard work in it on their part and uh, of course it it panned out because EMI ended up signing them for a three record deal but but I just I'm I, I kind of admire all the all the hard work that went into it yeah yeah absolutely so do I um you know I, I guess maybe it's just the the lead vocalist doesn't really engage me or something mm-hmm. I'm not quite sure what it is okay so enough about the Saints let's move on to television so um so I did a little research on the on television, and if if I remember correctly, this is one of your favorite bands, isn't it? No, no, okay. it's not. I, I have a lot to say about television. Um, uh-huh. So we had talked um, in a previous episode about the documentary called um, Punk Revolution NYC, The mm-hmm. Velvet Underground, The New York Dolls, and The CBGB Set. They spend a lot of time... Um, talking about television mm-hmm. and I would recommend um, that all of our listeners go and hunt that down when I saw it it was on Amazon Prime um, who knows if it's still there we will in an upcoming episode spend some time talking about television um, but Let's just say that of the first wave of CBGB bands, television would have been voted most likely to succeed, and Blondie would have been voted class clowns. Yeah, yeah, and for sure. It it ended up being kind of exactly opposite, where Blondie were runaway hit makers you know for for a long time and television just sort of floundered um and we'll get into that a lot more later on um they were i, I will i will i will say yeah. this that i've i've seen countless uh documentaries on blondie being such a huge blondie fan and even blondie said that they were the class clowns and and television yep. television was top of the class yeah so yeah well part, part of the problem was that um uh richard hell 
uh-huh. who I love. Yeah, me um, too. Left television before they actually got around to recording an album. And I think it would have been a completely different album if he was part of of that process. Yeah, yeah. So, Marquis Moon, I every once in a while I go back and I try to get into it and I kind of like it. And, um, well, let's just listen to the song we picked to, okay. uh, for today called See No Evil. Um, and just note that Rolling Stone considers uh, this album, Marquee Moon, the 17th greatest punk album, and the song Marquee Moon as the 372nd greatest song of all time. I greatly prefer See No favorite bands is is the Violent Femmes. Of yeah. course, Gordon Gano being the lead singer of the Violent Femmes. And the two artists he's clearly the most influenced by is um, the lead singer of television and Lou Reed, neither of which I'm particularly crazy about. Oh, so okay. I, I don't know what it is, but... <laughs> Boy, you, there's no way you can convince me that Gordon Gano didn't listen to a lot of television as a right, kid. Right, You know, um, I, I was waiting for the uh, Rolling Stone statistic, to be honest, um, because I, in my research, I actually came up with one myself. Okay, lay it on me. This was for you. Rolling Stone ranks, ranks this as the 128th greatest album of all time out of 500 and, yeah and i don't know yeah. how much water that holds but but it's not bad for a debut i mean yeah know. well the, the the thing is that i the, the way that i reconcile um the rolling stones list is when they say greatest yeah what they really mean is most influential oh there you go yeah right yeah so I don't, I mean, I, I think it would be hard to find too many people today who, who had never heard this album, who would listen to it and, and go, oh yeah, yeah, this is one of the 200 greatest albums ever made. Right. You know, I think it's very much, um, uh, you had to be there, sort of, you have to take this in perspective of, well. of you know who it influenced and and the and the ground it was breaking at the time yeah yeah 
I, I definitely feel the violent femmes influence, or, or, or you know, what influenced the violent femmes. So yeah, this is the yeah. television that I remember. This is the television that I like. This particular song that you choice, uh, chose, See No Evil, I, yeah. I really enjoyed it. Um, yeah. I, I would like to say that uh, music journalist Tony Fletcher made a comment about Marquee Moon. He said it was uh, something entirely original, a new dawn in rock music. And that I totally agree with. Yeah. I'm a hundred percent on board. It's just not particularly compelling music to, to my ears now. Gotcha. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about Iggy Pop. One of my favorites. <laughs> so this is his debut album. Yeah. His de- debut the his solo Idiot. album. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, of course. Yes. Yeah. His debut solo album. This is his first under the Iggy Pop not Iggy Pop and the Stooges or just the Stooges. Yeah. So you picked the song Fun Time, which surprised me at first, but then it made perfect sense once I listened to it a couple of times because this <laughs> is sort of the, the, well, no, just, well, the lyrics and sonically, this is kind of quintessential Iggy Pop in the sense yeah. that he's doing what he does best, which is sound like at any second he's about to to come completely unhinged and yeah. be completely unlistenable so it's just right there on the edge like <laughs> 10% more chaotic and it would be an absolute disaster yeah but it's not quite there he's like and you get the sense that he knows it he's like I'm dipping my toe in the water. No, no, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna dive in. No, I'm almost. You know, he's just <laughs> right there, and that's what makes him brilliant. Yeah, you know. Yeah, I I love. Uh, I mean, I'm a, I'm a huge Iggy Pop fan, and and I love the anticipation of that unhinged moment. You know, it. Um, Susie, uh, Susie Sue of Susie and the Banshees, uh, when she heard fun time it, it blew her mind and she was like oh my god I never even knew that this guy existed you know I mean she obviously she knew who Iggy Pop was and she knew Iggy Pop but it was like a whole new person yeah came to life for her and and she she swooned over his voice I mean she just loved listening to him so yeah and uh, it should be noted this album was produced by David Bowie Absolutely. Um, you know, some people actually feel that this might actually be the beginning of David Bowie's uh, Berlin period, that this is kind of, you know, kind of slides well, into that. Well, yeah, that's right. So he um, he and Iggy Pop were roommates for a while, and Iggy Pop had a lot of German synth music, like Kraftwerk, um, mm-hmm. that... that had a huge influence on David Bowie moving forward. So just one last thing before we hear fun time, um, just picking up on this theme of, uh, chaos. (laughs) So when you listen to this song, it's not just like, is this song going to get so chaotic that it's going to be unlistenable? It's like, I'm not even sure that Iggy Pop is going to be alive by the end of this song. (laughs) I love it. It just sounds so completely unhinged. Last night I was down in the lab, talking to Dracula and his crew. Oh, the 
So there are a lot of really great songs off of this album. Yeah. I would strongly recommend that any, and if any of the listeners hear this song and go, well, I, I kind of like it, but it's a little too much for me. There are some other songs that are a little bit more contained, a mm -hmm. little bit more accessible. This, uh, this album was just highly praised. Um, critics said that this is like the Iggy Pop it is most Iggy Pop you know yes <laughs> and, absolutely um, this album album in particular uh, it went on to influence a lot of really good bands uh, influenced Depeche Mode Nine Inch Nails Joy Division Joy Division oh my god I mean uh, you know this it, it's a really good album and, and it kind of it kind of grew you know some really good uh, really good stuff from it I mean you know things came out of yeah. it and it should be noted that this album contains the original version of China Girl, oh, which of right. course yeah. never charted or I think was even, I don't think it was even released as a single Fraggy Pop, but David Bowie would take it. So it was co-written by Iggy Pop and David Bowie, and mm -hmm. uh, David Bowie would very famously uh, cover it for his Let's Dance album and make... Um, in my estimation, uh, one of the greatest new wave songs of all time. Here, here, I agree with that. You know, D David Bowie also retooled, um, oh, what song? Sister Midnight, and uh, changed the lyrics and and came up with Red Money. Um, you know, oh, the, really? yeah, yeah. It's it's mm. essentially the same song, admitted by David Bowie that that's what he did. Yeah. So. I have to go back and listen to that one too. So that brings us to the last relevant release of a winter of 1977, The Damned, which means that this episode's mini dive will be on The Damned. Yeah. But, um, the album is called Damned, Damned, Damned. But before we get into that, let's just do a quick little summary of um, what was released in the winter of 1977. What is your favorite album? What what gets um, the Rob Best in Show ribbon? My favorite uh, would have to be The Idiot. Yeah. yeah. That was that was absolutely my guess for what you would pick. Yeah. And it was mine for a while, but oh. I I keep going back to Ultravox. Oh, I am wow. fascinated with with this album. It yeah. is it is not as consistent um, in quality and in tone, like narratively, as the Idiot. So I I should just knowing what I I tend to like pick the Idiot, but Anytime there's there's something, be it movies or music or anything art-related, that does the thing that I typically don't like, mm -hmm. and I like it, that yeah. makes me love it, you know, they because it's like it, yeah. against all odds. Yeah, they so deserve a notch. So I'm going to have to pick um, Ultravox's Ultravox explanation point. <laughs> um, as my best in show for um, winter of 1977. 
Fantastic. Yeah, it's a good album, and it was definitely in my number two. Um, but still, I got I love me some Iggy Pop. All right. That brings us to our mini dive of The Damned. You, um, before we started this podcast, you really weren't that familiar with The Damned. Had you ever heard a Damned song? You know, um, so this is this is actually the funny thing. Um, before we started this podcast, the one damned song that I'd heard was uh, Oh, you watch your mouth. I'm sorry. <laughs> Bleep. Uh, the one damn the damn song that I heard was Grimly Fiendish, and the only reason I had heard it is because back in 2011 I had you on my radio show and we co-hosted a a punk new wave uh, segment on my radio show and this is one of the songs that you brought to the table. So I did. Yeah. Oh, good yeah. for me. Yeah, I good don't for remember you. that at all. It it happened. It happened. And that's I mean that that's the only reason I really got to know them at all um so yeah so um let's just uh, quickly rank the albums as far as mm-hmm. what our favorites are we're, we're really going to focus on just the albums released between uh, 1977 and 1986 now i have a prediction and i, I think that like any any sharp-eared listeners who have been paying attention are going to be able to to guess that um, I'm going to lean towards the earlier punk stuff and you're going to lean towards the later goth stuff. Interesting. Is that, is that, that fair? Uh, that that's a really guess? that yeah. I think you hit it on the on the nose. <laughs> okay, so so go ahead and quickly just rank them. Um, okay, so uh, I'm going to go ahead and rank my my albums um, mostly by. Say it's hard. I, these albums have songs on them that I absolutely love, and that's how I ended up ranking them. So um, I'm going to say my number. Are we starting from number one and going to? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. So um, my number one is Phantasmagoria from 1985, and, yep. and again, it's because of Grimly Fiendish, which I just I totally got into when you brought it to my radio show. Um, number two is Strawberries from 1982. Uh, number three is Anything from 1986. Uh, number four, strangely enough, because a lot of people don't really care for this, is Music for Pleasure in 1977. Um, number five is Damn, Damn, Damn from 77. Number six is The Black Album, which I kind of go back and forth on. I think it's rated a little too low. It should be a little bit higher for me. Um, and then number seven is Machine Gun Etiquette from 1979. Okay, so we have almost exactly opposite lists. Yeah, <laughs> I knew we would. <laughs> yeah. So number one for me is Machine Gun Etiquette. Uh-huh, interesting. Number two is Damn, Damn, Damned. Number three is um, Phasmagoria. Uh-huh, Phantasmagoria, yeah. Yes, thank you. I, no. I can never uh, say that right. <laughs> number four is Anything... Number five is Music for Pleasure. Number six is The Black Album. And number seven is Strawberries. Interesting. And as we go through the albums, I'll, I'll explain why. Yeah. The Damned actually remind me of Blondie. Oh, I in see. In a certain way, because yeah. 
I feel like they're very hit or miss. So until we started preparing for this episode, I had only really listened to compilations, you know, like best of. Mm -hmm. So my estimation of The Damned is not quite as strong as it was before because I never actually listened to full albums. So they're and, a, they're a compilation band for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so let's just um, let's get into their debut called um, "Damn, Damn, Damned," released mm-hmm. in winter of 1977, which is why we're talking about the Damned now. The um, the hit singles, which were charted in the UK but not in the States I, I, I don't think The Damned ever charted in the US um, were New new Rose and Neat 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 mm-hmm. um, The Damned have a couple of distinctions um, they were the first UK band to release a single they were the first UK band to release an album, a punk band, obviously. Yeah. UK punk band to release a single, to release an album, and to tour the US. Oh, interesting. I didn't know it that. It should be noticed that um, the the core of the NAMD are Dave Vanian, lead singer, Brian James, Captain Sensible, and Rat Scabies. So, yeah. Sounding very much like a punk band in the 70s in the UK. Are you insinuating that no mother would name their son Rat Scabies? <laughs> or Captain Safe Sensible? Oh, yeah, I never I even I thought am. about that one. <laughs> um, this album was produced by Nick Lowe. So let's listen to Neat, Neat, Neat. I'll be a man, can I miss? Be a dog, be a baby dog It can be fun One of the quintessential punk singles, as far as I'm concerned. Mm-hmm. Love yeah. the song. Yeah, Love it. same here. Um, later on in 1977, um, November sees the release of Music for Pleasure, which was produced by Nick Mason of Pink Floyd. I, um, I actually have a an interesting tidbit about this see i'm a okay. i'm a pink floyd fan only as far as sid barrett like i don't care for pink floyd after sid barrett um mm-hmm. but nick mason produced this album and apparently the band was looking for sid barrett and because sid barrett at the time was just a big you know loner and 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 kind of a recluse uh they didn't get him obviously uh, but I, I found it interesting that they wanted Sid Barrett to be a part of the album, you know, to be a part of it. So, well, this is um, one of my least 
favorite of the Damned albums and was not well received. It didn't have any successful singles um, and was critically really kind of derided. In fact, the band broke up after this album for a little while. Yeah. But quickly got back together um, to release Machine Gun Etiquette. Uh, they had a, a string of hit singles off of this, uh, including Love Song, Smash It Up, and I Just Can't Be Happy Today. We are going to listen to the title track, Machine Gun Etiquette. surprised if there's at least one listener out there who listened to this song and went oh Joseph really screwed up he said he was gonna play a 1970s punk song by the damned but instead he played early 90s the offspring right because <laughs> man does this sound like the offspring and in my and I know that this isn't the case, but in my little fantasy, the mastermind be behind the the offspring heard this song and went, oh, that's what I'm going to base my entire musical career on, this yeah. song. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think this is a really tight album. Um, every, just about every song is, while some are not terribly compelling, they're just musically really together on this album um he and this is where the lead singer starts to develop his new voice you know the 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 um the sound is a lot deeper he's he's obviously singing from a different place in his body he he right. discovers his this very distinct voice which i think moving forward he 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 leans on too heavily in a lot of songs and it just becomes kind of excessive to the point of being annoying and also it's it's a little um it kind of drags everything down a little mm. bit sonically sometimes for me okay um 1980 sees the release of the Black Album. Uh, the hit single from this album is The History of the World Part One. <laughs> I think this album is kind of a mess. So so he's, the, the lead singer is, he's developing this new style and sometimes he's got it dialed in and sometimes he doesn't and this and the next album, he is all over the place as far as intonation. I mean, he is out of tune a lot, which is just something that I have a hard time with, period. doesn't matter who the artist is. Their next album, Strawberries, is generally considered when they start going goth, but 
honestly, I think it's this album. Well, yeah. And um, yeah. The, the song that you picked, Twisted Nerves, is sort of like Exhibit A. Exactly. Um, this is a very Rob song. Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> you know, crit- critics loved it, some didn't, but as far as the darkness, it's right here. <laughs> it's right yeah. here. Telling a story and using speaking as different characters and and all of that. So this is, this seems like it's really very much in the Rob sweet spot. Boy, I didn't realize how predictable that was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you should do something about that. I should do something about it. Yeah. 1982, the Dam releases Strawberries. Um, the hit single being Lovely Money. Um, not one of my favorite albums. I think this album is a mess. Mm-hmm. Um, you picked the song Under the Floor again, which had me scratching my head because I got to tell you, like, the beginning... I, I had to listen to the song several times because the beginning of it, I just... My brain turns off at the beginning of this this song huh. um, because it's... I mean, like, when the when the sitar kicks in mm-hmm. it, it goes dangerously close to like serious spinal tap territory <laughs> but you know so so I think every time I heard this song my brain just sort of like turned off when I got to the sitar part but actually the middle part of this song is really pretty great yeah. and because we want our listeners to hear great music uh, let's listen to that little part Sitarts. That is obviously not why I chose the song, but (laughs) (laughs) I should think so. (laughs) But I will say that I find it to be kind of 
kind of interesting uh, contrasting with with the rest of the song, the the, the section that we played. Um, mm-hmm. I, I find it to be to be kind of an in, interesting introduction to uh, to under the floor again. Um, but I don't know. I I, I like the song. Um, as far as the album, I think the album. I don't know. There, there's a few songs on the on the album that I I like, but again, uh, as far as the damned is concerned, it's I, I don't like a lot of songs on most of the albums. You know, it's yeah. there there are one or two that really stick out to me on each of their albums. So, yeah. 1985 sees the release of. Uh, go ahead and pronounce it because I butcher it every time. Phantasmagoria. Phantasmagoria. So this, as far as the damned going goth, this is when they really got their act together. Yeah. So not just vocally where he is... I I don't remember hearing anything where it was like the, the intonation was a problem. Right. Um, but also just they... Got they they are dialed in. They've figured out what, where they're going and what they're gonna do. And this album is a really tight album. So I like this album a lot, even though I don't, you know, tend to love goth stuff that much. Mm-hmm. This is this is a pretty great album, and it must be noted, one of the greatest goth album covers. Ever. Yeah. <laughs> this is absolutely classic it, album it, cover. It is classic art. I mean, as far as a goth album. Yeah. <laughs> um, hit singles off this album, Grimly Fiendish, The Shadow of Love, and Is It a Dream? Um, goth titles. I mean, really. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so Grimly Fiendish is so close to being a masterpiece it, it's just if it was just a little bit more focused and had a little fewer parts Also noted that this album was their highest charting album nice. until um, uh, 2018, where one of their uh, their most recent album uh, did a little bit better. That that kind of surprises me. At any rate, I want to I want to thank you for introducing me to this uh, this this song. Um, like I said earlier, this is the uh, I 
think probably the first damned song that I heard and and so but but yeah. as soon as as soon as uh, I played it on uh, on that radio show back in 2011 uh, I just thought it was incredible and and I have you to thank for it yep, yep. <laughs> the following year the damned released anything which had uh, the hit singles anything Gigolo, Alone Again, Or, and In Dulce Decorum, which I'm probably not pronouncing correctly. Um, this is the last time they will ever hit the singles chart. So this album is kind of an extension of the last album, only they're sounding a little bit more bogged down, kind of overproduced. They're, you know, they... They don't sound as inspired to me, but it's a pretty good album. They're sliding more into a commercial uh, pop sound, I think, at this point. Yeah. Um, I, 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 somebody had mentioned that this is kind of where they're, they're being compared to the Stranglers or, or Simple Minds, um, mm. which I find, I, I don't know that I would say they sound like Simple Minds, but, but they were compared to Simple Minds in that aspect that they are uh, kind of like a main, they're more mainstream and, and yeah. you know. Well, so. I, I gotta say, so so this was released in 1986. 1986, that period of time, is a rough period for these you know, like the original wave of UK punk yeah. bands, where they, they were just they were getting bogged down in like overproduced studio stuff and and um you know a lot of really great bands were just doing this bloated over the top uninspired sort of wannabe phil collins type stuff which i think i think it it was kind of like you know they've been doing it for a decade yeah and and they don't know where to go now the world is everything's changing around them so yeah yeah makes sense and um this would be um their last album until 1985 so they broke up after this album so the the song that i picked which was a late addition um up until a couple of days ago we weren't going to feature any song off this this album I don't know why I didn't discover it earlier because I've listened to the album several times, but yeah. Rockabilly Goth, which I just think is the funniest thing in the world. It's a, a song called um, The Girl Goes Down. She walks like an angel walks. She talks like an angel talks. Cave, is that you? <laughs> By this time, Nick Cave had released several or, or a couple of solo albums, so it's not fair to say <laughs> that they were sounding more. They were sounding like Nick Cave before Nick Cave was. Yeah. Um, but and 
at that time, the stuff that he was doing was a lot dirtier and more chaotic. But this sounds like it would fit on, um, you know, any of a number of Nick Cave albums from the mid '90s, like yeah. Henry's Dream or I, uh, or something. I, I love the song. Yeah, it's it's a good song, and I have to, I have to say that I know a a handful of guys in in bands that are playing this kind of music today. Um, yeah. You know, it's kind of a psychobilly, gothic, uh, you know, gothic thing. So the Damned uh, reformed um, in the mid-90s and released four albums between 1995 and 2018. I have heard, like, cuts here and there and not been inspired by anything I've heard to actually sit down and listen to their albums. Uh you mentioned that you you gave it a go mm-hmm. and uh, didn't didn't care so much for the it, new stuff. It's to me, it just sounded kind of typical of like you know nineties nineties uh, rock. You know, um, yeah, it wasn't really any more interesting than anything else that's being played or that's been played over the last ten years um, yeah. or last twenty years, um, and. You know, I, I mean, I could, I probably would, would lose them in a crowd of, of other bands, you know, contemporary bands at the time. So, but yeah, I wasn't too into them. So, thus ends our mini dive of the Damned. Um, I will give them any, this. Yeah. They stuck with it. I mean, they're still around. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. So um, we're getting ready to wrap up this episode. Uh, Next month, we're going to talk about um, the album's released spring of 1977. Mm -hmm. So that's April, May, and June. Um, We will take a look at... uh, the debut from a band widely considered to be one of the very greatest punk bands of all time and another debut from a band that I personally loved so much as a teenager I skipped my senior prom so that I could go see them at the Warfield in San oh, Francisco I'm, I'm not going to say it but I think I know who that might be <laughs> in a moment we will announce which band from this episode we will dedicate the next episode the deep dive to but before we get into that we want to remind you that this episode as well as every other episode in the show notes is a link to the spotify list where you can hear every song that we featured today in its entirety yeah strongly recommend that you do that so uh if at the very least, so you can go and listen to the damned playing some sitar, <laughs> or or Peter Gabriel, uh, you know, singing about the Burgermeister. <laughs> Where can people find us social media wise? Oh, good God, all over the crazy internet. Um, so you can email us at deepdives.deepcom. Uh, excuse me, deepdives. 
www.deepcuts at gmail.com. Yep. Um, you can uh, you can catch us on Instagram, deepdives.deepcuts, or on Facebook, you can catch us at Deep Dives and Deep Cuts. So uh, we're all over the place. Also, I want to mention that um, hopefully by the time this episode goes live, I guess goes live isn't the proper term, by the time this episode is released, um, we will have... Uh, posted on our Facebook page and quite possibly on our Instagram page a list of every single band that we will be covering this entire series. So we encourage you to go check that out and if for some reason we missed your favorite band and it is a punk or new wave band that released at least one album between um, 1977 and 1986, please let us know and we will consider including it in future episodes. Absolutely. Okay, so drum roll please. Oh yeah. What artist, Rob, will we be featuring in our deep dive episode in two weeks? Oh my god, I can't believe you're asking me this. Is it David Bowie? <laughs> yeah, way to be on top of it. We are going to talk about David Bowie. Of course we're going to do a deep dive on David Bowie. Of course. We I'm are. surprised we got this far without doing it. Already. I know. So, um, if you listeners, listeners want to prepare, go ahead. And um, I believe that Spotify has every single David Bowie studio album ever released. Uh, so you can bone up and prepare for two weeks from now. I have been I have been boning up myself on my David Bowie. I've been oh, it's That's crazy right. the Bowie I got. Yeah, yeah. All right, everybody. Thanks so much for listening. We'll uh, talk to you in two weeks. All right. See ya. I stole money into town, just like a sacred.